Hello, and welcome to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalists. We are a vibrant liberal religious community that treasures diversity, practices justice, and teaches love and respect for everyone. We grow spiritually through worship, shared learning and service, and relationships that go deep. As we say each Sunday, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the holy, your presence here is a gift. All are worthy, all are welcome. Good morning, everyone. I'm Susan Marcinkus and I'm your worship associate today. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalist online worship service. Our greeter today is Roger Guernsey. Our other worship leaders are our minister, Reverend Laura Horton Ludwig, our director of religious education, Austin Peterson, and our assistant director of music, Dave Robbins. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, I invite you to visit wuu.org to download a copy. If you're on Zoom, look in the chat box and the link will be there. If you're visiting today, we are so glad that you're here. We invite you to say hi by typing a quick note into the Zoom chat. And if you'd like to sign up for our email list, please fill out our online visitor form at wuu.org. After the service today, we encourage all WUU members to stay for a special congregational meeting on, right after the service. Everyone is welcome and members will vote on a proposal, wait for it, to repave our parking lot. Your voice is important and we hope to see you there. Again, welcome. Here at WUU, we are committed to being an anti-racist, anti-oppressive congregation. We work to ensure that all people are treated with dignity, fairness, and equity. In our worship, we celebrate the contributions of people of diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds, genders, and sexual orientations. We are happy that you have joined us via live stream, audio, video, or Zoom. Whether you have come seeking comfort, encouragement, or inspiration, you belong here. You are seen here, even if we cannot see you physically. Now I invite you to join in saying our welcoming words. And please, as you say these words, speak them to each other and know that we are connected across the distance. The words are pasted in the Zoom chat. Let's say them in what passes for unison. Folks on Zoom, we will unmute you so that you can hear each other. Come, come home, come, 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 Welcome indeed. So I have a question. I wonder if you have ever played the children's game Truth or Dare. The way you play is you get a group together and you take turns picking one truth or dare. If you pick truth. It means the group gets to ask you a question and you have to tell the truth. If you pick dare, 
It means the group gets to challenge you to do something scary or a little risky, a dare. But of course, you're kind of taking a dare even if you pick truth because telling the truth is risky. Kids know this. If we tell the truth, other people might make fun of us. Maybe it's a truth about ourselves and what we believe or a truth about what's really going on in a relationship. Maybe a truth about how our society works and what our collective history means. Telling the truth is risky, it is a dare. But here in this beloved community, may the truth always be welcome. May everyone's truth be welcomed and honored even when it's uncomfortable. May truth be welcomed here as the precious gift it is. Come, let us worship together. Now, please join me in saying the words to light our chalice. If you have a chalice handy or a candle, please go light it now as we spotlight Austin Peterson lighting the chalice. Again, we'll unmute you and we'll say these words in unisonian. We light this chalice. The light of truth. For the light of truth. Sorry. The light of truth. <laughs> for the warmth of love, for the light of truth, for the energy of action, and for the harmony of peace. Peace in our hearts, peace in our community, and peace in our world. Good morning. I have a story for you from Hans Christian Andersen. Many, many years ago, there was an emperor who was so exceedingly fond of new clothes that he spent all his money on being well-dressed. He cared nothing about reviewing his soldiers, going to the theater, or going for a ride in his carriage except to show off his new clothes. One day, two swindlers came into town. They let it be known that they were weavers. And they said that they could weave the most magnificent fabrics imaginable. Not only were their colors and patterns uncommonly fine, but clothes made of this cloth had a wonderful way of becoming invisible to anyone who was unfit for office or who was unusually stupid. And so the emperor thought, those are just the clothes for me. If I wore them, I would be able to discover who in my empire was unfit for their posts. And I could tell the wise from the fools. Yes, I certainly must get some of this stuff woven for me right away. And so he called to the swindlers and he gave them a large sum of money to start work at once. They set up two huge looms and they pretended to weave. Although there was nothing on the looms, all the finest silk and the purest thread which they demanded went into their traveling bags. And they worked on their empty looms far into the night. The emperor decided that he would send his most honest minister to the weavers. When he got there, the minister thought, oh, heaven help me, I can't see anything at all. 
but I dare not say so. What if the emperor thought that I was unworthy for my post? I might get fired. Both swindlers begged him to be so kind as to come near and to approve the excellent pattern, the beautiful colors, and they pointed to the empty looms. The poor old minister stared as hard as he dared, but he didn't see anything because there was nothing to see. Heaven have mercy, he thought, can it be that I'm the fool? I'd never have guessed it. No one must find out. What if they thought I was unfit to be minister? Oh, it wouldn't do, it wouldn't do. And so he said, oh, it's beautiful, it's enchanting. Such a pattern, what colors. I'll be sure to tell the emperor how delighted I am with it. And the emperor sent another trustworthy official to see how the work progressed. And the report came back the same, for the same reason. And so finally, the emperor decided that he would go see it as well. He wanted to see this beautiful, uncommon cloth. And when he looked, he thought to himself, what's this? I can't see anything. This is terrible. Am I the fool? Am I unfit to be emperor? Oh, what a thing to happen. Oh, it's very pretty, he said. Oh, it has my highest approval. And he nodded at the empty looms and nothing could make him say that he didn't see a thing. And so he invited his entire retinue. They came and they stared at the empty looms. No one saw more than any other, but they all joined the emperor in exclaiming, oh, it's very pretty. And they advised him to wear the clothes made of this wonderful cloth, especially for the great procession that he was about to lead. Magnificent, excellent, unsurpassed. And so the noblemen who were to carry his train stooped low and reached for the floor as if they were picking up his mantle and they pretended to lift and hold it high. They didn't dare admit to anyone that they had nothing to hold. So off went the emperor on procession under his splendid canopy. Everyone in the streets and the windows of the town said, oh, how fine are the emperor's new clothes. They don't seem to be anything but perfection, right? Do you see his long train? No one would confess in the town. No one would confess that they didn't see anything for that would, improve, that would prove them to be unfit for their position or to be a fool. Until a little child, a little child looked and said, hey, the emperor, he hasn't got anything on. And then the whole town looked at each other and said, the emperor has no clothes. All at once. And the emperor shivered for he suspected that they were right. But he thought, this procession has got to go on. So he walked more proudly than ever as his noblemen held high the train that wasn't there at all. Wow, thank you, Austin, for that story. We will come back to that. And now we have a special treat. 
Dave Robbins has been working on a series of musical settings of essays by the poet David White. And today he's going to premiere a world premiere, I believe, of two of these pieces for us. And here is the first one. Thank you, Dave. Withdrawal can be the very best way of stepping forward. And done well, a beautiful freeing act of mercy. And as an art form underestimated in this time of constant action and engagement. So much of what we are involved with, and even the highest cause, becomes involvement at the busy periphery where the central conversation has been lost to the outer edges of what was to begin with a very simple central invitation withdrawal is often not what it looks like a disappearance no to withdraw from entanglement can be to appear again in the world in a very real way and begin the process of renewing the primary essential invitation again. Life does seem determined to be a beautiful and entrancing distraction, just as we ourselves are a distraction to others, testing them as we test ourselves and our mutual sincerity. Our participation in this dance of distraction also makes more real and more necessary our ability to return to essential ground, to an essential person. essential work. We stick to the wrong thing quite often, not because it will come to fruition by further effort, but because we cannot let go of the way we have decided to tell the story and become further enmeshed, even by trying to make sense of what entraps us, when what is needed is a simple, clean breaking away. ourselves entirely and absolutely abruptly and at times 
uncompromisingly is often the real and radically courageous break for freedom. Unsticking ourselves, we start the process of losing our false enemies, and even our false friends, and most especially the false sense of self we have manufactured to live with them. We make ourselves available for the simple purification of seeing ourselves and our world more elementally. therefore more clearly again. We withdraw not to disappear but to find another ground from which to see. A solid ground from which to step and from which to speak again. In a different way, clearly restored, rested, embodied voice. Our life as a suddenly emphatic statement, and one from which we do not wish to withdraw. invite you now to join in that spirit, perhaps a spirit of withdrawal, a spirit of meditation, reflection, and prayer. And I invite you to begin to settle in wherever you are and allow yourself to relax as much as you wish. You might close your eyes if you want and begin to notice your breathing. You don't have to change a thing, just notice. David White says, we withdraw not to disappear, but to find another ground from which to see. So may this time of quiet withdrawal into our own heart be for us a blessing, an opportunity to sink down into the deep wells of spirit. Nothing to do, nowhere to be. May peace well up within us. And in that space of peace, may we be with the truth of our lives, gently, lovingly, 
kindly. Let us breathe together for a moment. And now as we continue to rest in this quiet space, let us open our hearts to the concerns and the joys and the sorrows of our world. We hold and witness with all those who are ill or afraid or suffering in any way. We hold and witness all the ways that we humans create suffering for others through ignorance, delusion, and fear. May we invite the spirit of wisdom and truth into our hearts that we might transform ourselves and our own actions. May we be well and free. May our actions Help others be well and free. And now I invite you to return to that space of deep quiet within you and call upon the holy in whatever words and images are most dear to you as we enter into a shared silence. Amen and blessed be.
so much, Dave. Each Sunday, we make an offering from the bounty we are blessed to enjoy. We do so in a spirit of generosity and in recognition of our ongoing commitment to serve our world and share our values. If you are joining us for the first time, please feel free to give if you wish, and also know that your presence is gift enough. Today's offering goes to our general operating fund, which supports just about everything we do here. If you'd like to give through our website, please visit wuu.org and click Give Online to WUU. If you'd like to give by text, please text the dollar amount of your gift to 757-500-0689. That's 757-500-0688 and follow the prompts from there. If you prefer to give by check, please mail your check to WUU 3051 Ironbound Road, Williamsburg, Virginia 23185. And we thank you so much. Nostalgia is the arriving waveform of a dead past. Newly remembered, about to be reimagined by a mind and a body, at last ready to come to terms with what actually occurred. Nostalgia subverts the present by its overwhelming physical connection to a person or place, to a time in which we lived. Or to a person with whom we lived, 
making us wonder in the meeting and past and present if the intervening years ever occurred. Nostalgia, 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 nostalgia. Feel like an indulgence, sickness, inundation by forces beyond us, strangely forces that have always lived within us. Nostalgia, 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 nostalgia. Not an indulgence. Nostalgia tells us we're in the presence of imminent revelation. About to be right through present structures held together by the way we have remembered something we thought we understood, but that we are now about to fully understand. Something already lived, but not already really lived. Initially, not from our future, but from something already experienced. Something that was important. Something that we did not grant importance enough. Something now wanting to be lived again. At the depth to which we first were invited, but to which we originally refused. Nostalgia, 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 nostalgia. Not an immersion in the past. Nostalgia is the first enunciation that the past as we know it is coming to an end. Thanks, Dave, that was amazing. I have a reading for us. It comes from Radicalizing Myself by Jabari Saeed Jones. Jabari Jones is a participant in the Radical Dharma movement, which seeks to ignite a long overdue dialogue about how the legacy of racial injustice and white supremacy plays out in society at large and Buddhist communities in particular. In a recent blog, blog post, they say, the Akan tribe in Ghana have a word, Sankofa, symbolized by a bird with its head turned around to take an egg from its back. The Sankofa heron illustrates a Tawi proverb, which translated says, it is no sin to go back and fetch what you have forgotten. I read books on whiteness and on black history, a history for which there is no national standard or curriculum to better understand 
how I got here and imagine where I want to go. One thing I have learned is at the core of white privilege is the entitlement to amnesia and ignorance. To forget that America was founded on stolen land, stolen labor and genocide, and that we live in a society structured by this history is to embrace an identity rooted in a false innocence and a flight from truth and healing. This is the rot at the end of the root of the nation. May we remember wounds of the past that bleed into the present so that we may heal and grow into the future together, whole and wise. The story goes, the emperor had no clothes, but the tricksters who pretend to be weavers spin instead a dangerous lie. If you don't believe in the invisible clothes that we swear up and down are really there, well then you're a fool, you are stupid, you are no good. This is a very old story. Hans Christian Andersen borrowed it from a 14th century Spanish collection of tales. It shows up in a 13th century collection from India too. People all over the world recognize that oh so human tendency to go along with a false story, a, a lie, because it's easier to go along than speak the truth. But doesn't it hurt? to feel how precisely it maps itself onto our own political reality right now. We don't have an emperor, thank goodness. And there are no invisible navy blue suits to be seen in the halls of the Capitol. But there are plenty of false stories making the political rounds and they are dangerous. How is it that a major political party in the United States of America is still pushing the lie that the presidential election was stolen and is now trying to force out local officials who resisted the multitude of spurious lawsuits in the days after the election? How is it that a duly elected congressional representative who on the afternoon of January 6th was literally helping to bar the doors of the House chamber against rioters, how is it that he is now claiming that the folks who assaulted cops and smashed windows were just strolling around on a normal tourist visit? How is it that the party of Lincoln has embarked on a state-by-state -state campaign of voter suppression directly and precisely calibrated to get rid of black votes, all the while claiming, pretending, lying, that their only concern is the non-existent danger of voter fraud. But of course, suppressing votes from people of color is not new. It's not new at all. And it goes hand in hand with the long history of society-wide delusions and lies about race that Jabari Jones speaks of in the reading we just heard. Sadly, telling lies and coming to believe they are the truth is as American as apple pie. 
But something new is happening now. The lies are wearing out, getting threadbare, showing their age. So many people are seeing and saying, the emperor has no clothes. Maybe not enough yet, but I believe we are very close to a tipping point. We have the power to bring the era of white dominance and toxic masculinity founded on lies, sustained by violence. We have the power to bring this era to an end at last. May it be so. Ironically, I think one of the very things that helped us reach this tipping point is the very nostalgia that has driven the movement to make America great again, to try to go back and relive the past. I want you to hear again the words of David White on nostalgia, which we heard in Dave's musical setting a few minutes ago. Only now I invite you to imagine how they might apply to our collective past. David White, nostalgia is the arriving waveform of a dynamic past, newly remembered and about to be reimagined by a mind and a body, I would add by a society at last, ready to come to terms with what actually occurred. Nostalgia tells us we are in the presence of imminent revelation about to break through. Something we thought we understood, but that we are now about to fully understand. Something now wanting to be lived again at the depth to which it first invited us, but which we originally refused. Nostalgia is not an immersion in the past. Nostalgia is the first enunciation that the past as we know it is coming to an end. I would argue that the very nostalgia that drives the MAGA movement is actually forcing all of us to re-engage with our collective past in a way that ironically has helped us move forward. When we hear someone say, make America great again, how can we help but say, hang on, I don't wanna go back. That was not good. That emperor has no clothes. And so even though we may have been dragged unwillingly into this giant collective social conversation about the meaning of our national history, the fact that we are in the conversation gives us a tremendous opportunity to tell a true story about who we have been and who we are now and who we want to be as a people. We are at last ready to come to terms with what actually occurred to fully understand so that the past as we have known it can finally come to an end. This is a tremendous opportunity for truth telling at last. But the truth needs our voices to tell it. Unitarian Universalist principles call us to a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. That is one of our principles. And I think this means we have a responsibility not just to search for truth, but also to speak it. We have a responsibility to help build 
a culture of truth, a culture of truth throughout our communities and our society. And so I ask each one of us, as we are able to say what is true, to resist lies and false stories, to build a culture of truth in our homes, in our schools and workplaces, in all of our communities, and as active participants in our democracy. I ask this of all of us, but I also ask that you consult your own heart about what you are called to do, because speaking the truth is not always easy and it is not always safe. So please don't let yourself get pushed into taking risks that do not feel right to you, okay? You are important. Your well-being is important. Your safety is important. But there may come a time when you know in your heart that you have to speak up. In that moment, my prayer is that you will be guided by the spirit of truth itself, which is bigger than all of us. Some of you will remember the story of Patricia and Daniel Ellsberg, who released the Pentagon Papers. The year was 1971, 50 years ago. It was the Vietnam War era. The Pentagon Papers were top secret documents showing that President Johnson's administration had lied to Congress and to the American people about the war. Our own Unitarian Universalist publishing house, Beacon Press, was the publisher that dared to print them. But Daniel Ellsberg was the one who smuggled them out in the first place. He was a former federal employee <clears throat> and government contractor. He had access to the papers and decided to leak them so that people would know the truth. It was an enormous risk for him to do what he did. He and his wife, Patricia, both knew that he might well go to jail for the rest of his life. But Patricia has recalled they believed it was the right thing to do, not just believed, they knew it was the right thing. And they found strength in the teachings of one of their heroes, Gandhi. Gandhi spoke of a force he called Satyagraha, truth force or soul force. Patricia Ellsberg remembers the feeling of living in that truth force. She says, throughout that time, I remember feeling we were in a field of force and power that was much bigger than we were, that guided and protected us as we were standing in the truth. She tells about the day they came out of hiding. Her husband was on the steps of the courthouse, ready to go in and face the indictment. Reporters and cameras were everywhere, deafening noise, flashbulbs. In front of all the cameras, he took full responsibility for releasing the papers. He said, I felt 
that as an American citizen, as a responsible citizen, I could no longer cooperate in concealing this information from the American public. I did this clearly at my own jeopardy and I am prepared to answer to all the consequences of this decision. Daniel and Patricia stood there holding hands and she said, it was as if we were in an electrical current of great power. I believe it was an experience of the truth force, the soul force. I believe this truth force is real. I believe that it is real and that it holds us and sustains us whenever we are brave enough to speak what we believe most deeply to be true, come what may. Though it cannot promise us safety, when we trust it, it will set our spirits free. And with our help, may that spirit of truth free this nation and all its people. May it be so. Amen and blessed be. Local guide us is hymn 131 from Singing the Living Tradition. Sing along at home. The words start with love will guide us. Love will guide us. Peace has tried us. Peace has tried us. Hope inside us. Hope inside us. We'll lead the way. Reverend Laura. Now let's say the words to extinguish the chalice, and we invite you to blow out your candle at the same time. We will paste the words in the Zoom chat, and again we'll say them in unison. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of the truth, the warmth of the community, or the fire of these we carry in our hearts until we are And as we prepare to close, I invite you to hold out your hands as a sign of all that connects us. And now, 
words of Duke Gray. The blessing of truth be upon us. The power of love direct us and sustain us. And may the peace of this community preserve our going out and our coming in from this time forth until we meet again. May this be so, blessed be, and amen. <laughs>